Welcome to Leading Lights. You are about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. You know, the context of something that is said or seen is so important. Have you ever looked at a photo and you can't quite tell what it is, but you zoom out and you get its context and it makes sense and you can understand what it is? We're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are nine of them. They sound amazing and dramatic. Things like miracles, healings, tongues, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. These are the powerful Holy Spirit gifts. And we've spoken about them, but today I want to zoom out and give you the context of them. So the first context is the mission that they were given in. In Acts chapter 1, I'm not going to read all the verses, but I'm going to tell you the stories. Jesus says to his disciples, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will be given power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So the first important point is the context they were given in. You know, when a gift is given, it helps you to understand the purpose of the gift and the heart or the spirit behind the giving of the gift. And God gave the gifts of the spirit in the context of Jesus saying a couple of important things. Number one, he said, wait. Don't leave Jerusalem. Don't try and do ministry in your own cleverness and strength. You need power. Wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't leave. And they waited for 10 days. And then 10 days later, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Second thing about this context of the gift being given is that it was for witness, for going out. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's not a selfish gift. It's not an indulgent gift. I like to use this picture to help us understand this. You know, in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 Christians having the most amazing worship service. The Holy Spirit was poured out. They were filled with the Spirit. They spoke in tongues. They prophesied. There was a sound of a rushing wind. There were visions of flames coming down on them. It was the most powerful worship service. And if the gifts had been given for our own benefit, they would have stayed in that service for 10 hours, 12 hours, 15 hours. It would have been an ongoing service and others would have come in and they would have enjoyed the presence. But no, they went straight out onto the streets. Peter starts preaching to the crowd and 3,000 are added. And it continues in that vein to the point where by the year... Well, by, by 100 AD, the Christian church had spread so dramatically that it was starting to affect the Roman Empire. By 300 AD, the Roman Empire was changed and Christianity became the official religion. And Christianity had spread over most of the known uh, world in that area. It was the most dramatic spread because the gifts are given not to give me goosebumps, not for me to feel validated, happy, special, uh, close to God. That is a byproduct, the purpose of the gift. The gift is given and God says, go. 
do ministry. It's for others. It's for reaching the lost. This is important. You know, the disciples uh, understood this. They got this. But they said at this time in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, they thought it was a political thing. They understood we must go and extend the kingdom of God. But they thought the kingdom they were trying to replace was the Roman government. And Jesus said, no, no, you don't understand. Uh, You go and be witnesses. It's the kingdom of Satan that we are getting rid of and making people know Jesus. That is our first priority. And that is the context that the gifts were given. That's so important. The second context is the bigger context. context of these gifts and other gifts that are similar to it. So word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. Those are the first little three uh, grouping of three of these gifts. Then there's faith, healings and miracles. That's the second little grouping. And then prophecy, tongues and interpretation. All of those sound amazing, but it's important to realize that there are other gifts Those are the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 uh, verses 4 onwards says that there are gifts or manifestations of the Spirit. And then there are also activities or ministries of Jesus and uh, gifts or activities of the Lord God. And um, all of these together work together and they kind of overlap. So prophecy, for example, occurs in all three of those gift lists. But For a person who has that as their motivational gift from God the Father, in other words, it's a character gift. It's an innate ability. It's not a a supernatural impartation. It's more just a, a way of being from Romans chapter 12. That's the motivational gift list of the gifts from God. That person will be a a speaker and an arguer and a convincer. Then in the other list of gifts in Ephesians 4, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, prophet is in there. And that person, it's more of an equipper where they equip others to hear and speak for God. And in this gift, prophecy is where you hear from God and you speak just in the moment to people. It's a supernatural download of power and impartation from God. So the the gifts are different and it's important that we understand there's a bigger context. And just because I have a motivational gift of encouraging, that doesn't mean I can now do away with the gifts of the Spirit because in 1 Corinthians 12, it says to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. To one is given the word of wisdom, to another with the word of knowledge. And so we need each of these, each of us should have one of these, at least nine gifts operating in our lives. The other thing, the bigger context of these gifts, is that all nine of these things are things that Christians must have in order to be Christians. Word of wisdom, we are supposed to have wisdom. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul has just arrived. Well, when he arrived in Corinth, he's writing a little bit later back to Corinth. And he says, when I arrived, I resolved to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And then he speaks about the wisdom and the knowledge that he gave them. And he says that we need these to be Christians. Non-believers cannot have the wisdom and the knowledge that we as believers have because they are spiritually discerned. So wisdom and knowledge are things that all Christians are supposed to have. In James chapter 1, 
The Bible says that if anyone lacks wisdom, they should simply ask and God will give it freely, liberally. So wisdom is something we're all supposed to have. 1 Peter says that we are supposed to have knowledge and we're supposed to grow in knowledge. Knowledge is is crucial to our, our faith. What about discerning of spirits? This is something we're supposed to do. Jesus said, test the fruit. Uh, We're told to not believe every spirit, but to test the spirits. We're told to test all things. So discernment is something we all have, but this gift is something different. Why am I saying all this? Because sometimes we get confused when we overlap all these different things. There's the gifts of the Father, which are motivational, innate character gifts. There's the gifts of Jesus, which are ministry categories, apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral teaching. Those, there's those gifts. Then there's gifts of the Spirit, which are like Christmas gifts. They're just a download of power for a specific time and place. And then there's the bigger issues like wisdom, knowledge, discernment that are different from these gifts, but all Christians are supposed to have them. Let me just keep going through the list. Uh, Faith is another one of the gifts of the Spirit, but all Christians have to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11 says. Miracles, that's the word dunamis or power. And in Ephesians 1, Paul says, you as Christians have this power. Every Christian has to have miracle power, but that doesn't mean they've got this miracle gift all the time. Uh, Healings. We've seen how Jesus paid on the cross for healings. In fact, he said to the Pharisees, when he said to someone, your sins are forgiven, they argued with him and he said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or you're healed, right? Pick up your mat and walk just so that you know that they go together and I have the authority to do both and and they're inextricably linked. Healing is available to all, but that doesn't mean we all have this gift of healing. Uh, Prophecy, we can all prophesy. When the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2 and people said to Peter, what's going on? He said, this is what Joel foretold that God would pour out his spirit and the sign would be prophecy. We can all prophesy. You can all prophesy, he says in 1 Corinthians 14. Tongues and interpretation, I spoke last week about how that's a gift of prayer language that we can all use. And in fact, we're commanded in Jude verse 20 to pray in the Holy Spirit and build ourselves up in our most holy faith, keeping ourselves in the love of God, which is talking about praying in tongues. So all of these are things we should all have. There are motivational and ministry gifts that kind of overlap, but are different. But each one of us is supposed to have, in fact, we do have, we're just supposed to unwrap and start to use the gifts of the Spirit. I hope you're excited about that. I really do. And now I'd like to just read on in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 to give you the context, uh, uh, another aspect of context. So I'm just going to start in verse 28, where he overlaps some of the other gifts. So there's the gifts of the Spirit, nine of them, miraculous gifts, tongues, interpretation, word of wisdom, prophecy, faith, these kind of things, nine of those gifts. He he uses some of those. He uses some of the gifts of the Father, which are the motivational gifts, character gifts, teaching, leadership. Uh, serving or helping. And then he uses some of the ministry gifts, apostolic people who, who want to push into new areas and plant churches, prophetic people who want to speak for God, evangelistic people who want to reach other, the lost and bring them in, pastoral people who want to care for others and bring them into the family, 
and teaching people who want to explain the Word of God. Those are the five uh, ministries of Jesus in Ephesians 4. And those three lists of gifts work together and he puts them together to give an example of how it works. And then he gives a bigger context that I want you to see. So he says in verse 28, And God has appointed these in the church. Now, some people think this means, when he says in the church, they think this means positions or titles. But it's not titles, it's gifts. You know, I can be good at cooking, but that doesn't mean I have the title of chef. It's only if I am appointed and employed and legally set up as a chef that I can be a chef, or if I'm doing it as a job. But these are gifts, and that's important. He's saying these are appointed in the church, not as titles, but in chronological order, as a church is planted, this is the way the gifts start to operate. Some of them are motivational gifts of the Father. Some of them are ministry gifts of Jesus. Some of them are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they all work together to get a church planted. You say, why would he use the example of planting a church here? Because that's the context the gifts were given. Go and spread the word to the whole world. And that means plant churches. The Great Commission that Jesus gave, Matthew 28, he said, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. That's church talk. That's it's setting up little fellowships. And that's how we spread the gospel and do the Great Commission. So this is how the gifts work in that context. He says, And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles. The apostle arrives in a place. He wants to break new ground. He starts getting a strategy for planting a new work or a new church. Second, prophets. These are the people who can speak powerfully and convince people, and we need them. Third, teachers. Once people have started to, to come, we need to start teaching them the Word of God. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings. This is where we start to see signs and wonders to draw in the lost. But interesting that it's not the first thing. It comes after the apostle, prophet, and teacher. Um, after that helps and administrations helps is the gift of serving that's the motivational gift we need people who will serve and work and help people administrations is leadership that means setting up structures when you're setting up a church you don't set up the structures before you don't put the banks of a river before the river comes the river comes and then the banks form that's how it works and we need uh, leaders but they they further down the line chronologically. And then lastly, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts, yet I will show you a more excellent way. So this is the next area of context that I'm going to give you the more excellent way, and it's called love. He basically says love is the wrapping for everything that we do. We have to enclose it in love, do it in love, do it for love, love people, love God. It's love, love, love. You know, sometimes we think I have to guard and extend the kingdom and we confuse the fact that we must crush the devil and we think we must also crush people who are opposed to us. And he says, no, you love people, you crush the enemy. It's such an important thing. We hate sin and we hate the devil. We love people even if they're sinners. And that is wonderful. So he's going to show us the more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I'm so great. I can speak with tongues. Yes, but do you love people? 
and that I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and that I have all faith so that I could move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Can you see he's going through the list of the gifts of the Spirit, and he's going to also include some of the other gifts, and he is saying love has to be the context. Context is so important. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. This is the motivational gift of giving. And he says, if you have it, but don't do it in love, it's worthless. And then he explains love. Love suffers long, is kind, does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. He says, this is what love is like. This is a description of someone who is using the gifts, who is moving forward in planting churches and extending God's kingdom, but it's all in an attitude of love. Suffers long, patient, kind, not keeping a record of wrongs, favoring others, not about self, uh, wanting the truth, persevering at all times, thinking the best. Love, love, love. Right. In the same chapter, he gives one more context, and that is that on this side of heaven, we are never going to see clearly all the things that God is wanting us to, to see. So the gifts of the Spirit are so spectacular. A word of wisdom, a word of knowledge where God tells you something and you think, wow, if someone has a prophetic word or a vision or a word of wisdom or a gift of healing, they must be having a direct line to God. You know, sometimes you hear people on TV saying, and then I said to God this, and then he said that, and I said this, and you think, man, they just have a constant hotline to God and they can hear him speaking in their ears. It's extremely rare for that to be the case. Most people are hearing God and there's an element of unclarity. Let me read on. He says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. New Testament prophecy comes from within our spirits and then we sense it in our minds. And because of that, it can get confusing and we may confuse our own feelings and thoughts with what God is saying. Old Testament prophecy came from outside. There was none of their own emotions involved. God spoke from the outside. So they had to get it right or they were put to death. New Testament prophecy comes from inside. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, judge prophecies and test them and see if they're right or wrong because they're not always right. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. When will it cease? Did it cease in the first century? No, he says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. He's talking about heaven. As I'm going to read to you in the next verses, he's talking about when we get to heaven, we see God face to face. There's no more confusion. There's no more lack of clarity. I know what's going on. I can see God clearly, but now it's in part. Have you ever heard a prophecy and you think that sounds right, but it's not complete. That's because it's coming from inside because we're fleshly humans, because we're not in heaven yet. And the gifts of the spirit are in part. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know just as I am known. That's talking about heaven. And so this next context that we're given for the gifts is that we're not in heaven yet. No one has a direct, perfect hotline to God. And that's why 
we judge prophecies. That's why when we give prophecies, we speak as if we speak in the oracles of God. That's what 1 Peter 4 says. We speak with confidence. I trust this is God's word, but I'm always ready to admit when someone else judges it, that it may not be right. And so there's this element of unclarity. What I'd like to do now is just quickly show you hopefully one or two examples of people in the book of Acts, because this is the last context that we need to be given. How does this work itself out? It's all very well to have a theory, but how did it work in the New Testament? Paul the Apostle. So his ministry gift, Ephesians 4 gift from Jesus, was apostle, but he had been a prophet or teacher when he was in Antioch, we're told, in Acts chapter 13. There were prophets and teachers, and Paul and Barnabas are, are listed. So those were his gifts, prophet, and, and his motivational gifts was prophecy and teaching. Out of the, the gifts in Romans 12, the, the gifts of God the Father, being a public speaker and being someone who can explain things. Those were his motivational gifts. Uh, his ministry gift is apostle, motivational gifts, prophecy and teaching. But what about his gifts of the Spirit? What did he use for his gifts of the Spirit? It's mainly miracles and discerning of spirits. So he comes across in the early days in Acts 13 and 14, he comes across Elimus the sorcerer and he looks at him and he perceives his spirit. Uh, he can see the spirit this man is, is operating under and he says, you will be blind. Miracles and discerning of spirits. Uh, when he gets to Philippi, he sees the slave girl who's following them saying, these men are servants of the most high God. Eventually he discerns the spirit. He knows what it is. He turns around and he rebukes the spirit and she is set free. And then they put into prison and he and Silas are worshiping and the, there's an earthquake and the prison doors are open. That's miracles. Um, it's normally discerning of spirits and miracles that Paul worked through. Uh, Eutychus, there was a man who fell asleep while Paul was preaching. He preached so long the whole night that the man, they were on an upper floor and he was sitting in the windowsill. He fell asleep. He fell out and he landed on the floor, Paul said, don't worry, he's not dead. Um, and actually, it, it implies that Paul got up and walked away while the guy was still lying there as if he was dead. And only later did he wake up and come back to life. So it was miracles, but it was also a bit of a word of knowledge or word of wisdom. Uh, but it's mainly Paul operated in others. And that's what I want you to see is that there were times when he when the situation demanded it, God would use him in others. And we all have access to healing and to miracles and to all these things. Jesus said in Mark 11, you can speak to the mountain, be removed. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed and it will move. So just because you don't have this as your gift doesn't mean you can't use it. But there are certain things that God uses us in more than others. Um, when he was in Ephesus, he would work as a tent maker and at the end of his work day, people would take the aprons and the handkerchiefs, the sweaty handkerchief that he'd had around his forehead while he was working, and they would lay it on the sick people and they would get healed. It says they were miracles of Paul, but I think what it was is Paul was empowering others to do miracles. And, um, you know, he. it says the word of God spread to the whole region of Asia. It says that even non-Christians started trying to cast out demons out of people because I think Paul was empowering others to do ministry. 
just one interesting thing. Paul says in Galatians that when he was in Galatia, he ministered to them because of a sickness. And I want you to see this. You know, I was talking about the fact that we're in a war, that we're doing a mission, but it's unclear. Sometimes we're fighting an enemy. We're not in heaven yet. We see in part, we know in part, we operate in part, and God does want to heal everyone. We've seen that. Jesus never turned anyone away. And yet even strong believers get sick. Paul was sick uh, in Galatia. He says, I ministered to you because of a sickness. Timothy, he says, take some wine because of your frequent illnesses. In 2 Timothy 4, he says, I've left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Now, the majority of times people got healed all over the place. But I want you to see it's not clear and it's not clean cut. And there is a war going on. And we don't always have to understand all the reasons why some do and some don't work. We just need to say, I know what the mission is and I'm moving forward. I don't have time to go into all these others. Uh, many of the others are wonderful examples. But let me just talk about Paul quickly. In Acts chapter 16, he is um, trying to get guidance from the Lord. He knew he had to go to Ephesus. And it says in verse 6, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, that's where Paul went when he was sick, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. That's Ephesus. They wanted to go there, but the Spirit said no. After they'd come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. The Holy Spirit is saying no, but they, they're unclear. They're trying to obey the Great Commission, what God has told them in His Word, and they're being guided by the Spirit, but it's not as clear-cut as you would have thought, where they hear a word and they just know exactly what to do. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So they went to Macedonia, which is Philippi. And when they got there, it was only women. It says they ministered to the women at the river. So who was the man from Macedonia calling them over? Again, it's unclear. But Paul knew what his mission was. He kept doing what God had told him to do. He used and benefited from the gifts of the Spirit, but they weren't the main thing. They were in a context of a mission, of the truth of Scripture, of the fact that they're not always clear, but he says, I'm still moving ahead. Lord Jesus, I pray for my friend right now that you would excite them and fill them with your Spirit and help us to use these gifts for your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.